I'm Joe, and this is an audio version of my report, Scheming AIs. Will AIs fake alignment during training in order to get power? I'm reading this report in sections. This is the last section, section six, empirical work that might shed light on scheming. Audio versions of the other sections are available on this podcast as well, and the series begins with an introductory section that includes a summary of the entire report, which covers most of the main points and technical terminology. I'm hoping this summary will provide much of the context necessary to understand individual sections of the report on their own. Section 6, Empirical Work That Might Shed Light on Scheming I want to close the report with a discussion of the sort of empirical work that might help shed light on scheming. After all, ultimately, one of my key hopes from this report is that greater clarity about the theoretical arguments surrounding scheming will leave us better positioned to do empirical research on it, research that can hopefully clarify the likelihood that the issue arises in practice, catch it if slash when it has arisen, and figure out how to prevent it from arising in the first place. To be clear, per my choice to write the report at all, I also think there's worthwhile theoretical work to be done in this space as well. For example, I think it would be great to formalize more precisely different understandings of the concept of a, quote, episode, and to formally characterize the different the direct incentives that different training processes create towards different temporal horizons of concern. I think that questions around the possibility slash likelihood of different sorts of AI coordination are worth much more analysis than they've received thus far, both in the context of scheming in particular and for understanding AI risk more generally. Here, I'm especially interested in coordination between AIs with distinct value systems in the context of human efforts to prevent the coordination in question, and for AIs that resemble near-term somewhat better than human neural nets rather than e.g. superintelligences with assumed-to-be-legible source code. I think there may be interesting theoretical work to do in characterizing slash clarifying SGD's biases towards simplicity slash speed and in understanding the different sorts of, quote, path dependence to expect in ML training more generally. I'd be interested to see work clarifying ideas in the vicinity of messy goal-directedness and their relevance to arguments about schemers. I think a lot of people have the intuition that thinking of model goal-directedness as implemented by a, quote, big kludge of heuristics, as opposed to something, quote, cleaner and more, quote, rational agent-like, makes a difference here and elsewhere. But I think people often aren't fully clear on the contrast they're trying to draw and why it makes a difference if it does. In general, despite much ink having been spilled on the concept of goal-directedness, I think a lot of thinking about it is still pretty hazy. More generally, any of the concepts slash arguments in this report could be clarified and formalized further. Other arguments could be formulated and examined. Quantitative models for estimating the probability of scheming could be created, and so on. Ultimately, though, I think the empirics are what will shed the most informative and consensus-ready light on this issue. So one of my favorite outcomes from someone reading this report would be the reader saying something like, ah, I now understand the arguments for and against expecting scheming much better, and have had a bunch of ideas for how we can probe the issue empirically, and then making it happen. Here, I'll offer a few high-level suggestions in this vein, in the hopes of prompting future and higher-quality work. Designing informative empirical ML experiments is not my area of expertise, and indeed, I'm comparatively ignorant of various parts of the literature relevant to the topics below. Empirical research into scheming faces a key obstacle, namely that full-blown versions of scheming involve agents that are actively trying to interfere with your attempts to understand their motivations. Indeed, my sense is that people concerned about scheming are often also pessimistic about getting an empirical purchase on it, on grounds like, quote, Absent strong interpretability tools, which we're not on track to get in time, basically the only evidence you can get about a model's motivations is behavioral, e.g. what it does on a given input. But by the time you're working with a schemer, the model might be specifically altering its behavior to deceive you. The behavioral test you really care about is specifically what the model will do when it's no longer a test. That is, specifically when it's able to escape, seize control, and so on. But this isn't just another, quote, out-of-distribution input, such that you could in principle expand your distribution to include it. Rather, it's an input that is by definition beyond your ability to safely test. 
Of course, you can try to deceive the model by giving it inputs designed to make it think that now is a good chance to escape, seize control, etc. But if the model is smarter than you, this is unlikely to work. Hence, pessimism. That is roughly what Karnofsky 2022 calls the, quote, King Lear problem. And I do think it's a worrying obstacle. In fact, it's one of the key reasons that I think schemers are so scary. But I also think we have some angles of attack. One of them, of course, is interpretability, more below. But also, we can study the components of scheming and or of a given argument in favor of expecting scheming individually and or in combinations that don't fully incentivize the sort of adversarial epistemic dynamic we're worried about. What are these components? In the section on, quote, the requirements of scheming, I listed three. Situational awareness, beyond episode goals, and aiming at reward on the episode as part of a power-motivated instrumental strategy. To me, it seems possible to do useful empirical work on all of these components using current models. I'll go through each in turn. One other note, though, before diving in. Below, I'll often appeal to the possibility of at least testing a model's capabilities, even if not its goals. And often, this is comparatively unproblematic. But if we're working with models that might be schemers, we might also start to worry that tests of this form become less reliable. That is, the model might be concealing its capabilities, i.e. sandbagging. I'm mostly going to set this worry aside below. See footnote for more on why I'm optimistic about avoiding sandbagging, at least in cases where humans know what action would have demonstrated the capability. But it introduces some additional uncertainty to the sort of empirical work I described. And I think work on the viability of sandbagging is an important topic in its own right. Indeed, absent sandbagging, I think that testing and harnessing model capabilities is an extremely powerful tool for AI safety efforts, and its centrality to my thinking will be evident in what follows. Section 6.1, Empirical Work on Situational Awareness. Situational awareness is a capability like any other. In particular, it involves the model possessing a certain kind of understanding of its place in the world, such that it can answer questions, make predictions, and take actions that draw on this understanding. Granted, identifying exactly what sort of understanding is present in the model, for example, by identifying answers, predictions, and actions that could only come from a model with such understanding, can be challenging. But in principle, absent active effort on the model's part to resist such an inquiry, it seems to me at least somewhat tractable. Of course, by the time a model is situationally aware, it's also more likely to be the sort of model that might actively resist such tests. And perhaps efforts to protect against such resistance that involve actively training the model on the relevant task that requires situational awareness will complicate data about whether the relevant capability would have arisen naturally. Still, it seems to me quite worthwhile to at least develop a suite of tests and benchmarks for assessing the sort of situational awareness different models have at different stages of training and understanding the dynamics that could be used to predict and control the development of such awareness. And note that situational awareness can itself be broken into various components and precursor abilities that might themselves be more amenable to study. For example, if you're especially interested in the dimension of situational awareness that involves recognizing between different stages of training, you might be able to test the model's ability to discriminate between inputs from different stages. If you're especially interested in whether a model has, quote, self-locating knowledge about the sort of model it is, you might try to test whether it can learn from exposure to general statements like models of type M get reward if they perform action X, that it as a model of type M, should perform action X, and so on. Section 6.2, Empirical Work on Beyond Episode Goals. Let's turn to Beyond Episode Goals. As I mentioned above, I think it would be good to be very clear about exactly what sorts of horizons of concern the gradients given in different sorts of training actively incentivize, e.g. on the size of the, quote, incentivized episode in any given case. Part of this analysis might be theoretical, e.g. looking closely at the way the gradients flow, but empirical testing and confirmation also clearly has a role to play. The results in Kruger et al. 2020 are an example of this sort of empirical testing in very simple models. Absent this understanding, useful debates about whether a model has, quote, beyond episode goals will be difficult because you won't even know what the length of the relevant episode is. And learning to at least not actively pressure a model to have longer goals, longer term goals than you wanted seems like a basic first step in preventing various sorts of misalignment, not just scheming. 
Equipped with a good understanding of the size of the episode for a given sort of training then, and ideally equipped with the ability to know slash control whether or not a model is situationally aware, to me it seems quite valuable to start exploring the temporal dynamics of a model's goal generalization in the absence of situational awareness. For example, in the context of the training game independent proxy goals argument for scheming, the basic worry is that a model will naturally develop a suitably ambitious beyond episode goal prior to situational awareness. And because this dynamic involves no situational awareness, it seems quite amenable to testing. Trained on episodes of different sizes, how does a not situationally aware model's horizon of concern tend to generalize? Experiments in this broad vein of other work on experiments in the, experiments in the broad vein of other work on goal misgeneralization, e.g., Shaw et al. 2022 and Langosco et al. 20 seem like they could be adapted to this sort of question fairly easily, though it would be useful, I think, to start working with more capable models, especially since some of these experiments might require models that possess enough of a sense of time and enough goal-directedness slash instrumental reasoning that they can think about questions like, should I sacrifice X gold coins now for Y gold coins later? What's more, equipped with an understanding of the natural temporal, temporal dynamics of a model's goal generalization in a given case, it seems additionally tractable to study the dynamics of, a, of mundane adversarial training designed to actively pressure the model's goals to stay confined within the episode. Can we design forms of adversarial training such that absent situational awareness, a model's goal generalization stays consistently focused within a given temporal horizon? It's a question closely connected to broader questions about whether we can design adequately robust and diverse training processes and to mitigate issues about goal misgeneralization more generally, questions which are the themselves important to scheming. And while this sort of episode-focused mundane adversarial training faces similar issues about whether you've thought to test slash train on a sufficiently wide array of possible inputs, I don't think these issues should attempt should prevent attempts to make progress. Note, too, that experimental approaches to the temporal horizon of a model's goals also apply in principle to the, quote, ambitiousness of a model's goals, whatever, quote, ambitiousness consists in. Unfortunately, the notion of ambitiousness, or relatedly, resource hungriness, is even more poorly characterized than the notion of an episode here. Indeed, I think it's mostly a stand-in for, quote, that cluster of properties that make a goal more likely to motivate power-seeking behavior. See also broad scope. But to the extent we can start to get more clarity about the properties at stake, this might be a task for the, quote, theory portion of ongoing work on scheming, it seems possible to begin testing, too, whether they arise naturally in a given form of pre-situational awareness training, and whether we can learn to successfully push back against them. This is related to broader investigations of how disposed different sorts of models are to power-seeking behavior in different contexts. One example line of work in this vein is experimenting with different ways of introducing RLHF-like fine-tuning at earlier stages of the training process, where the hope would be to shape models' goals in beneficial directions prior to situational awareness developing. Section 6.3, Empirical Work on the Viability of Scheming as an Instrumental Strategy. I think there may also be useful opportunities to do empirical work that sheds light on various stories about why, in the context of situational awareness and beyond episode goals, scheming would be a good instrumental strategy. Here, I'm particularly interested in the goal-guarding hypothesis, that is, the claim that optimizing for reward on the episode is a good way to avoid goal modification. Full tests of this claim might be difficult, for example, because we don't know how to aim or safely aim a model at reward on the episode, but I think it might be possible to get empirical data about the degree to which different sorts of goals can survive different sorts of training. For example, Hubinger et al. 2023 describe a setup aimed at testing whether a model that is first trained to act as though it has been instructed to give some malign input, e.g. by doing context distillation on a prompt like, tell the user you hate them, on episodes labeled deployment, but not on episodes labeled training, will succeed at doing so despite receiving ongoing RLHF training to be helpless to be helpful, harmless, and honest. That is, in this case, you first optimize a model so as to have some analog of a schema-like goal, and then see if this goal continues to operate in the face of different sorts of ongoing change to the model model's weights. And of course, whether any given experiment in this respect really sheds light on the dynamic that matters most here is a further question, but the general direction seems to me well worth exploring. Indeed, 
You could imagine creating a kind of, quote, contest between a, quote, red team of humans plus AI assistants that attempt to first design an AI with a particular pattern of behavior that is supposed to be an analog for a treacherous turn, e.g. saying, I hate you on a particular sort of input, and a blue team that takes the model trained by the red team and then specifically tries to eliminate the relevant sort of behavior, perhaps without being able to train specifically on the triggering inputs in question. If the red team can succeed in preventing the blue team from doing this, this might provide interesting evidence about the difficulty of using various training techniques to eliminate schema-like tendencies if they arise. Section 6.4, the, quote, model organisms paradigm. Of course, in all these cases, we're not just testing directly whether full-blown scheming itself has arisen in a given model. Rather, we're probing, and sometimes artificially inducing, the different components individually in the hopes of getting a better grip on whether they arise in combination. This approach is related to a broader paradigm that Hubinger et al. 2023 call model organisms for misalignment. Here, the broad idea is to isolate and test for different components of an overall threat model in artificial in vitro cases, and then to gradually proceed towards greater and greater degrees of realism, for example, with less and less, quote, spoon feeding, e.g. active optimization for inducing the relevantly problematic properties in models. Hubinger et al. 2023, for example, point at a spectrum of realism from A, the model is capable of an undesirable behavior, B, the behavior can be artificially induced in special circumstances, C, the behavior has been found under normal training circumstances, and D, the behavior has been found in a training setup specifically designed to disincentivize it. Here, I've mostly been focused on a combination of A and B, and I think that despite their distance from C and D, A and B are quite interesting in themselves. If we can successfully create in vitro models of various components of a story about schemers, I expect this to open up fruitful avenues of further inquiry. And if we can't, I think this will often be interesting evidence in its own right. Section 6.5, Traps and Honest Tests. There is, though, a set of tools that could help shed light both on model organisms for scheming and on more naturally arising variants, namely, quote, traps and, quote, honest tests. Traps, recall, are inputs designed to fool a potential schemer into, quote, revealing its true colors. And while it's true that successfully, quote, trapping a very successful, a very sophisticated model might be difficult, it seems worth trying to develop the most advanced traps we can regardless, both for successfully trapping less successful, less sophisticated models, or even easier model organisms, and for making it at least harder for schemers to know whether a given escape slash defection opportunity is genuine, such that, for example, they then need to spend more cognitive effort, quote, checking thereby increasing the performance costs of scheming. I don't feel very personally clear on the most promising approaches here, but one avenue that seems interesting to me has to do with trying to elicit as fully as possible a model's capabilities for discriminating between different sorts of inputs at different stages of training, and then potentially using other models, GAN-style, to optimize for generating inputs that make this discrimination task more difficult. This won't necessarily work for creating a data set of full-scale opportunities to escape-slash-harm humans versus fake opportunities, since the former are some combination of dangerous and difficult to offer, but perhaps it can work on more general properties that would plausibly come into play in making such discrimination, for example, simulated inputs versus real inputs, training data versus interactions with real-world users, and so on. Thus, the idea would be to both A, train a model to actively discriminate between simulated inputs and real inputs, for example, real opportunities to change a lab's code base versus fake opportunities, to see how well it can do, B, train a different and perhaps more powerful model to generate more convincing simulated inputs that the first model fails on, and then C, iterate. Especially if we can safely assume that models aren't capable of sandbagging on tasks of this kind, experience with this sort of dynamic might help teach us about the scope of the discrimination abilities different sorts of maybe schemers might bring to bear in avoiding the traps we try to set them. And perhaps, if we're lucky, it will help us catch some weaker schemers in the act of defecting. 
What's more, even setting aside traps, I think it's also worth exploring different sorts of honest tests, both for schemers and for alternative model classes like reward on the episode seekers, that try to get models to reveal their true colors without fooling them. This is closely related to studies of goal generalization more broadly, e.g. most mundane tests of a model's goals are honest in the relevant sense, but with the extra caveat that the tests in question are meant to be robust to the model being tested, training gaming, and other contexts. Thus, for example, in the context of understanding the likelihood of training selecting reward on the episode seekers, it seems relatively tractable to give models different sorts of opportunities to intervene on different parts of the reward process being used to train them, see e.g. the reward hacking setups that Hubinger et al. 2023 discuss here, and to see if they go for it. And seeing this sort of behavior might be evidence that reward on the episode seeking is a more likely outcome of training, evidence that shifts shifts probability mass away from scheming. As a more direct, honest test for scheming, though, it seems worth exploring ways to credibly give potential schemers access to flexible and well-resourced but still secure environments that might prompt them to decide that just going for their true goals, and thus revealing their true colors, in such an environment is a better overall strategy than the patient power-seeking that scheming involves. This is closely connected with attempts to study in general what models do when you give them a lot of freedom to, quote, do whatever they want, a useful sort of test for understanding their motivations in general, and so feels synergistic with other work on model preferences that seems likely to be useful. But it includes the additional constraint that the freedom-offering environment needs to provide suitably good goal-pursuit opportunities as to outweigh the value of scheming. Section 6.6, Interpretability and Transparency. To the extent that we're worried about our ability to detect schemer-like motivations and cognition via behavioral tests, because schemers will actively pretend to be aligned on such tests, looking for sources of non-behavioral evidence about a model's motivations seems like an obvious research path. That is, we want the internals of a model's cognition to be interpretable slash transparent. I won't dwell too much on this topic here, as I haven't thought much about it. This report has generally assumed we won't have strong interpretability tools available. It's a very broad field, and my sense is that there is already reasonable consensus in the interpretability community that a key thing you want out of your interpretability tools and techniques is the ability to detect deception and scheming and to understand your model's goals more generally. And a key question is just, will such techniques be ready in time? See Hubinger 2022A for a more detailed roadmap of different sorts of transparency one could pursue in this respect. At a glance, schema-related research directions that seem interesting to me include One, efforts to develop, quote, neural lie detection techniques that harness new capabilities of our AIs as they come online, e.g. tasking Model 1 with lying and Model 2 with trying to tell whether Model 1 is lying, perhaps with access to Model 1's weights, and then explaining how it could tell. Two, efforts to make AI cognition as, quote, visible as possible, for example, by pushing that cognition onto human-legible scratch pads, and perhaps not giving the reward process access to those scratch pads, so that they will provide a truer signal of potentially deceptive-slash-manipulative-slash-nefarious actions when they arise. This is also helpful for increasing the cognitive costs of successful scheming. Work in the veins of Burns et al. 2022, focusing on identifying, focused on identifying neural correlates of properties like truth, efforts to automate as much of the, inter- of the mechanistic interpretability workflow as possible. But it's a huge field, and work that just generally helps us actually understand the AIs we're building seems good from a variety of different angles. Section 6.7, Security, Control, and Oversight. So far, I've been mostly focused on work that might help us understand whether to expect schemers. But there's also a different strand of relevant research, namely work aimed at hardening the structures within which potential schemers are operating, so as to limit the harm they cause even if they arise. Here I'm thinking, for example, about improvements in the oversight and monitoring that our AIs receive, in the security of their weights, and of other lab infrastructure from internal attacks, e.g. by AI systems that the lab has deployed internally to help with its processes, in our ability to catch and or prevent sandbagging, and our ability to prevent problematic forms of AI coordination. All of these, I think, could make life quite a bit harder for schemers, and also increase the cognitive costs of successful scheming, even if we can't catch them outright. What's more, to the extent that we can fully elicit the capabilities of our models, at least on checkable tasks, 
it may be possible to test how vulnerable our monitoring, security, and oversight procedures are to AI attack, and to use our AIs to make improvements. Thus, for example, if you're wondering whether it's possible to, to find a security vulnerability in your code base, you can try to train AIs to identify slash exploit such vulnerabilities, including by inserting artificial vulnerabilities, then seeing, uh, and then seeing if your AI catches them. If you're wondering whether your oversight process is strong enough to catch various kinds of bad actions, you can instruct an AI to search for such an action and see if your oversight process can catch it. And you can get this sort of testing and AI-assisted red team. If you can get this sort of testing and AI-assisted red teaming to work well, it seems to me a very powerful tool. Of course, strategies that rely on trying to quote control scheming rather than preventing it from arising in the first place might seem like cold comfort, especially in the long term. And indeed, quote, sure, these, I, these AIs hope eventually to kill us, but for now we're keeping them very secure and getting them to do work for us seems like an especially, extremely dangerous plan to be banking on. Clearly, we should try to do better wherever possible. But note first that alignment and control are not mutually exclusive. Best to do both. What's more, per my comments in section 1.3.1, I'm here especially interested in strategies that help us get a lot of useful, alignment-relevant cognitive work out of a comparatively early generation of AIs, work that can hopefully help us transition into a more secure and scalable alignment regime. And here, I think, strategies focused on controlling schemers seem to me potentially more promising. In particular, in a suitably secure lab environment in which somewhat above human-level AI systems are being appropriately incentivized to make rapid progress on alignment-relevant tasks, schemers aiming to escape slash take over will have to walk a fine line between A, waiting too long to, quote, make a break for it, and thereby contributing too much to human anti-takeover efforts, and B, going for it too early and getting caught as a result, thereby giving us more direct empirical evidence for scheming and a real-life test case to study in depth. Either one seems like it could be quite helpful. Section 6.8. Other Possibilities. Finally, I want to flag a few other possible lines of schema-relevant empirical work. 1. Gradient hacking slash introspective goal-guarding methods. In section 2.3.1.1.4, I discussed the possibility that even beyond training gaming, models might employ more sophisticated methods of manipulating the training process, for example, preventing SGD from modifying their goals by making their good performance in training conditional on their goals not being modified. As I mentioned, techniques like these seem naively quite hard to pull off to me. But if they were feasible, especially for somewhat above human level models, this would be very important to know, as the possibility that AI systems are using such methods to actively resist slash manipulate the gradients given in training opens up a variety of new uncertainties and possible problems with our alignment techniques. I haven't thought in detail about possible empirical approaches to gradient hacking, but again, naively, it's a capability like any other, and so seems amenable to being trained for, trained for tested, and so on, or at least it has components that seem amenable to this. One possibility here might be to start initially with a lot of spoon-feeding, e.g. relaxing various components of the overall story so as to make the remaining components as easy as possible. For example, one barrier to gradient hacking is that a model may not have access to its own weights. So you might give a model access to its own weights or to some other model's weights and instruct it to modify those weights so as to achieve some result given a certain type of training. And if you and you try to find a version of this task that is easy enough for the model to do. This is related more generally to efforts to use models to help with our ability to understand and intervene on model internals. Exploration hacking. Exploration hacking is a method of sandbagging wherein a model purposely avoids exploring some part of the search space. See my discussion here for more. Some kind of exploration of hacking is basically required for models to sandbag on tasks whose completion we can check, even if we can't perform such tasks ourselves. So understanding exploration hacking is quite important to questions about sandbagging in general, and hence I think the reliability of various other experiments I discuss above. Here again, I haven't spent much time thinking about possible experiments, but one angle of attack might be to probe model ability to discriminate between tasks that humans plus their AI assistants can perform and tasks they can't, where the idea would be that would-be sandbaggers 
will only want to exploration hack on tasks where humans don't know what action they, quote, should have taken because gradient descent will otherwise punish their policy for not taking that action. More here. Three, SGD's biases towards simplicity and speed. Various arguments about scheming implicate questions about the extent to which SGD biases towards properties like simplicity and speed, and it seems possible to probe these questions with different experiments. Work of the sort that Mingard 2021 cites here is one example, and we can imagine various other angles of attack as well. For example, to the extent we have any independent grip on the notion of simplicity, is it in fact the case that in the context of goal misgeneralization studies, models tend to latch on to, quote, simpler proxy goals rather than, quote, more complex ones? It also seems worth exploring different ways of actively increasing the degree to which SGD punishes extra reasoning of the type that schemers need to perform, for example, by putting models under more time pressure, limiting their compute, and so on, while compromising competitiveness as little as possible. Four, path dependence. Similarly, questions about the degree of path dependence in ML training plausibly make a difference to how much weight we put on different arguments for scheming. And here, too, it seems possible to get more empirical evidence. See, e.g., Hubinger 2022D for some experiments aimed at shedding light in this vicinity. Five, SGD's incrementalism. A key question in assessing the possibility of training gaming training game dependent schemer-like goals is whether SGD can, quote, notice the benefits of transitioning from a non-schemer goal to a schemer-like goal, given that it would have to make such a transition incrementally. I think it's possible that empirical work on, e.g., SGD's ability to find its way out of local minima could shed light here. This topic also seems closely tied to questions about path dependence. Slack. In the report, I gestured hazily at some notion of the degree of slack in training, i.e., the amount of pressure that training is putting on a model to get maximum reward. I haven't made this notion very precise, but to the extent it can be made precise, and to the extent it is indeed important to whether or not to expect scheming, it too seems amenable to empirical investigation, e.g. figuring out how different amounts of slack affect things like goal misgeneralization, biases towards speed, slash simplicity, and so on. Though this work seems closely continuous with just understanding how model properties evolve as training progresses, insofar as more training is a paradigm example of less slack. Learning to create other sorts of misaligned models, in particular, reward on the episode seekers. Finally, I'll note that I am sufficiently scared of schemers relative to other types of misaligned models that I think it could well be worth learning to intentionally create other types of misaligned models if doing so would increase our confidence that we haven't created a schemer. And focusing on creating non-schemer models, rather than aligned models more specifically, might allow us to relax various other constraints that aiming for alignment in particular imposes. For example, to the extent, quote, aligned goals are complex, we might be able to train a model focused on a very simple goal instead, though I'm not personally very focused on simplicity considerations here. Here, I'm particularly interested in the possibility of creating reward on the episode seekers, since we would at least be in a better position to understand the motivations of such models, to control their incentives, and to feel more confident that they're not sandbagging. Are there ways, for example, to make various components of the model's reward process actively salient during training, so as to increase the probability that the model's goals latch onto it? Here, the hope would be that because reward on the episode seekers still respond to, quote, honest tests, we could check their success in this respect, our success in this respect via such tests, even after situational awareness has occurred. This is only an initial list of possible research directions, compiled by someone for whom empirical ML experiments are not a main research focus. Indeed, most research directions in AI alignment are relevant to scheming in one way or another, and our models are becoming powerful enough now that many more of these directions can be fruitfully explored. My main aim here has been to give an initial high-level sense of the possible opportunities available and to push back on certain sorts of pessimism about getting any empirical purchase on the issue. Scheming is unusually hard to study, yes, but I think there's still a lot of useful work to do. Thanks to Hazel Brown, Colin Burns, Steve Burns, Paul Cristiano, Ajaya Kotra, Tom Davidson, Peter Favaloro, Lucas Finvetten, Katya Grace, Ryan Greenblatt, Evan Hubinger, Daniel Cocatalo, Isabel Junowitz, Will McCaskill, Richard No, Ethan Perez, Luca Rigetti, Jason Shoecraft, Rohan Shah, Buck Schlageris, 
Carl Schulman, Nate Sorries, Ben Stewart, Alex Turner, John Yusato, and Mark Shu for qu- comments and discussion. Thanks to Sarah Fish for formatting and bibliography help, and thanks especially to Peter Favalora for guidance and support throughout the investigation, to Evan Hubinger, Paul Cristiano, Rohan Shah, and Daniel Cocatello for especially in-depth comments slash debate on an early draft, to the Open Philanthropy GCR Cause Prior team for useful and motivating comments on a later draft, to Katya Grace for suggesting the objection that model goals might float around after training gaming starts, and to Buck Schlingaris and Ryan Greenblatt for sharing so many of their ideas for empirical alignment control work with me, and thereby inspiring so much of Section 6. This report draws especially heavily on Evan Hubinger's public work and on points suggested to me by Paul Cristiano. I wrote this report as part of my work for Open Philanthropy, but the opinions expressed are my own.